so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Did you all see that next week we're supposed to have snow showers and a low of like five? No, I did hear it was going to be cold. What is what? Who? That's your nightmare. Yeah, this is like a a white nightmare. It's a white a man. white nightmare. It's a white mare. It's a white <laughs> white mare. <laughs> yeah, seriously, a white I mean, mare. who wants to who wants to deal with weather like that? Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me this week is the one and only Brent Leatherwood. Hello, Lindsay, and I'm, I'm sorry you're not here in the studio with me this week. Yes, I'm sorry to be remote too, especially because my internet is not cooperating. We've done this 500 times. Yeah, I don't, I'm a little bit under the weather. Hopefully I spring back fast, but I'm glad it's before Christmas and not during Christmas. So I will take it. Yeah, me too. And uh, I, I certainly will will take it because over the next two weeks, we actually won't be here. So we, we want to do this on this side of Christmas. That's right. So we'll, yes, listeners, we will be taking the next two weeks off. We hope you enjoy your time with your family and relaxing and resting and celebrating our Savior, the truth that He has come. His first advent uh, has happened, and we are just eagerly awaiting um, His second advent as well. And let's go ahead and start talking about what the ERLC has been featuring this week. Speaking of the end of the year, at the end of each year, we normally have an end of the year campaign where we highlight a different ministry that we have been able to do through the help of the cooperative program. And this first piece that I want to highlight that has to do with uh, an end of the year campaign is by Carlotta White, and it's titled, How Ultrasounds Help Moms Choose Life, Opening a Window into the Womb. So this year, we're focusing on the Psalm 139 Project, which you've heard us talk about. It's an incredible ministry that enables people to gift pregnancy resource centers with literal life-saving ultrasound machines because statistics, some people have said as high as 80% of women, when they see an ultrasound image of their baby, hear the heartbeat, then they choose life. This technology is just a gift from the Lord to enable them to have the courage to choose life for their child. And this piece is written by Carlotta. She's a member of our team. As a matter of fact, she helps direct our Psalm 139 project. So this is specifically a ministry of, of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And it was started years ago under Dr. Richard Land and Dr. Russell Moore continued it. And uh, we are continuing to emphasize it even now with this end of year campaign. And I should point this out. The ERLC, as most folks in, in our audience will know, we are funded through the faithful and sacrificial giving from our churches through the cooperative program. 
The Psalm 139 project, though, is uh, an enhancement to the work that we're able to do. And no cooperative program funding goes to the Psalm 139. It, it is it is completely funded through the the, the generosity and just extra uh, support that donors and friends and partners, contributors, uh, they, they just want to invest some extra dollars. And, and we take that and we buy one of two things, either the actual ultrasound machine or the training that it takes for a person who works at the facility to operate the machine. And it is a wonderful ministry because of what you just said, Lindsay. Statistics at, at center after center that we partner with are continually coming back and saying, yeah, 80% or more of the mothers that walk through our doors and, and see that life uh, growing inside of them, they, they end up choosing life. And so, I mean, it, it's just, it epitomizes uh, the phrase, life-saving. And, and so we are so thankful for individuals who come alongside us, who want to save those lives and serve those mothers. Well, and this ministry is all the more important in a post-Roe world where the right to abortion nationwide has been struck down and and those rights are now with the states. And women are traveling across states' lines to be able to get abortions. So we need to do all that we can to highlight the dignity of every life and those hidden lives in the womb. And this is one of the ways that we are able to do that. And I also wanted to point out that in this piece, there's a story there, a testimony from Pregnancy Resource Center in New York, who we had uh, were able to gift a ultrasound machine to, and then they saw their first life saved when a mom uh, encountered the life inside of her womb. So that's exciting. And that is a tangible example of how these ultrasounds work, how the Lord uses these ultrasounds. The next piece that I want to share with you is by our colleague, Hannah Daniel. So Hannah went to the border with uh, our very own Brent Leatherwood and Caden Christian and um, saw a little bit about what was going on at the border uh, with immigration and immigrants. And Brent's going to talk a little bit about that. But she reflected on that visit And her piece is appropriate for this season since it is Advent, and it's titled, What a Visit to the Border Taught Me About Advent. And she talks about the the tough conditions that many immigrants are living in. uh, She talked about the waiting and the disappointment and the pain and the hurt. And she talks about that's the reason why Jesus has come. Christmas is not some sappy cotton candy holiday, although we try to make it in our culture, uh, more sentimental. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying the season and the joy that it brings. But the reality is is that Christmas is for the downtrodden and the broken and those who are waiting and those who are struggling and those who are in pain. Emmanuel, God with us, has come for us, has come from heaven for us to rescue us from our sin and suffering. And one day, all of that will be behind us. And so it was a powerful reflection uh, born of her experience at the border. So I just want to know a little bit about what the experience taught you, Brent, and what your reflections on that would be. Yeah, so we'll we'll kind of use these comments to, to roll into the next section where we talk about some things happening in culture because, incidentally, coming back from this border, a major uh, development happened on the immigration front. So I'll kind of roll into that too. But a couple members of our team were able to take this trip along with some other members 
of various entities and churches uh, within the the Southern Baptist Convention, as well as some additional kind of partners in the the wider evangelical world. And Lindsay, I got to tell you, it it gave me a deeper appreciation for the complexity of the situation at the border, which at times uh, can grow into seemingly crisis uh, levels, and then just the 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 wider sense that, gosh, our 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 immigration system is just completely dysfunctional at this point. So we got to visit with uh, several ministries that are uh, there on the border, both in El Paso and on the other side in Juarez, Mexico. Uh, ministering to these migrants and and sheltering them. And over on the Mexican side, we, we visited a Presbyterian church that is a, a temporary shelter for, for folks who are waiting to cross the border. In many instances, they, they've actually already encountered the uh, border patrol and they've kind of gotten a date uh, for, for when they can come back to, to be processed. And you just hear these stories and these individuals, they are coming to America to, to seek a better life. Now, we should be clear, uh, the way that our, our laws are written, just wanting to come here is not enough to grant you asylum. And an interesting statistic that I learned while I was there is uh, individuals who are encountered at the border, they're processed and have to go before an immigration judge. Only about 46% of them uh, prevail in their case that they're making for asylum. Uh, the rest of them actually are, are sent back, either back to Mexico or back to their their home country of origin. And that was a surprising statistic. I mean, especially because of, of maybe what you hear out there uh, either on 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 the news or uh, talk radio, social media. I mean, you would you would be led to believe that all of these individuals are just being let in, and and that's just not the case. We were able to uh, meet with an individual uh, from uh, Border Patrol and just understanding his job better and 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 what they're doing. And my my one takeaway was anyone who tells you that they just have a simple fix for our border situation, for immigration, don't believe them. Uh, it, it is infinitely uh, more complex uh, than, than just someone who, who thinks, you know, with a, a couple of quick fixes, uh, all, all of this will, will go away. That's just, that's just not the reality. And uh, so this, this piece by Hannah is in, incredibly appropriate, especially because we are here in this, this run-up to Christmas so I appreciate the thoughtfulness uh, that she gave to this piece and how she tied this Advent season that we're in with the experience uh, that that several of us had on on the border. And it was all the more uh, meaningful because over the the last uh, week and a half, there has been a serious discussion going on in our nation's capital, particularly on the Senate side. Uh, were Senator Kirsten Sinema uh, from Arizona and Senator Tom Tillis from North Carolina have uh, developed a framework for getting much-needed uh, funding and supplies to our border agencies, our Border Patrol, Border Security agencies, and delivering a secure permanent pathway 
for our neighbors known as the dreamers. These are individuals, just very quickly, individuals who were brought into our nation as children through no decision of their own, no fault of their own. They, they were just accompanying their parents who made the decision. Uh, but because they were brought here so young, but they were born in another country, they they don't actually have citizenship. And these individuals, they at this point, I mean, gosh, these people are in their 20s and 30s. They only know the American context. They are, in effect, citizens of America. They're, they're Americans, and they just want to permanently be given away to signify that, uh, officially given away to signify that. And uh, right now, the way that our laws are written, that's just not possible. And, um, you know, there, there are individuals out there who say, well, you know what? Too bad. They need to be sent back to their home country. Well, that, that's the reality. This is their home country. If you send them back to a different context, that they really never spent time there. They're not familiar with it. In some cases, you will be sending them back to a situation that's very dangerous. And I think for a lot of folks, you know, talking about them just as dreamers, it really fails to give you a sense. No, these, these are actually coworkers. Uh, these are employees in uh, businesses that we frequent. These are fellow worshipers in our churches. And, and, and so I think when you realize like, no, these people are deeply a part of our, our society and they are enriching uh, our society. And uh, we have uh, long called at the RLC, long called for this situation to resolve itself the, the last major attempt failed, and out of that, President Obama, who was, was then in the White House, created a program called the Deferred Action for Child Arrival. So essentially what he said was, yes, uh, these individuals have an immigration case, but we are going to defer action on them for right now. We're not going to prioritize them, and if we get to them, then maybe we'll, we'll you know, go through the system. But for now, they're, they're allowed to stay. At the time, under Russell Moore, who was president of the RLC, we said we appreciated the heart behind that effort, uh, but ultimately because it was an executive action, it lacked the permanence and stability that comes with the passage of, a, of an act of Congress, which is, is what we said truly needs to happen. Uh, this executive action in, in many ways was done in a manner that's, man, that's, uh, that's, that's legally and, and constitutionally questionable. Uh, Im immigration policy is the domain of, of Congress. And we said as much at the time, we've, we've said as much uh, since then, and now we've gotten to a situation where Congress has, has not enacted any sort of permanent statute to help these individuals, and uh, now challenges to the executive action are working their way through the courts, and not too long ago, uh, one of our circuit courts ruled that it was unconstitutional, but issued an injunction from it uh, affecting individuals currently uh, that are that are here in America. And so it, it's very likely that this will get appealed uh, and potentially uh, it could be in front of the Supreme Court uh, in the in the relatively near future, which means that it, if it were to get there and a lot of analysts say, yeah, the Supreme Court's probably going to say uh, th this was not done in a constitutional manner, it would create an emergency situation uh, for these individuals, uh, for our neighbors, known as dreamers. And, and so that's why we were hopeful that maybe this framework 
might advance in in Congress. But uh, the news this week uh, makes it sound like it's not. So the, the first story we're going to talk about is CBS News, and it says uh, the last minute push to pass bipartisan immigration deal fails, dooming yet another reform effort. And from the story, it is reported negotiations in the Senate to forge a bipartisan compromise on U.S. immigration and border policy failed to gain enough traction to pass before the end of this session of Congress, dooming yet another effort to reform a system that has not been updated in decades. Congressional officials familiar with the matter told CBS News. Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, an independent who until last week was a Democrat, and GOP Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina had been discussing a potential deal that would have included the legalization of a subset of the millions of unauthorized immigrants living in the U.S., as well as certain measures aimed at reducing illegal crossings along the U.S.-Mexico border. But Cinema and Tillis did not strike a deal that would have been able to secure the necessary 60 votes in the evenly divided Senate during the lame duck session, three congressional officials said, requiring anonymity to describe the outcome of internal negotiation. The long-shot bid marks Congress's latest failure to pass a law designed to overhaul an immigration system that has not significantly been updated since the 19. 19- 90s. That subset of individuals were dreamers. And so that's obviously one part uh, that that we've been supportive of. The other half of it, though, is something that we have also been very supportive of. And that is additional funding and additional protections for border security. As a matter of fact, I've got in front of me uh, several SBC uh, resolutions that have been passed uh, at our annual meetings from uh, members of our, our churches and uh, we have continually called for secure borders uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. And this framework would have provided billions of much-needed dollars to secure our borders and create more of these processing facilities to handle uh, the influx of migrants at our nation's southern border. And if you just open the news right now, We have more and more individuals attempting to cross into America through our southern border, and they need these facilities. That's that's one of the things that the the border security official told us. Uh, We we need these types of facilities, and we're just running out of room uh, when we have these influxes of individuals trying to cross. And and this bill would have provided that. Uh, So uh, based on the experience and and this news, it it is just incredibly frustrating incredibly frustrating that Congress cannot get its act together and pass what seems to be a very common sense solution here for two problems, border security and helping these individuals that are Americans in every sense of the word, help them to get to a permanent status here. And uh, that's what the SBC has long called for. Uh, We have pointed this out multiple times to uh, our elected officials in our nation's capital. This is what our convention of churches has has repeatedly stated. And as a matter of fact, last month when I was in Washington, uh, as the lame duck session was, was beginning, I even said, this is what you need to be working on, not the misnamed Respect for Marriage Act which we think opens a whole host of questions for uh, religious organizations that hold to a biblical view of marriage. But um, anyways, there's a bit of a a long monologue there, uh, Lindsay, but 
you you asked for my thoughts coming back from it. It just happened that it coincided uh, with this this major news uh, out of Washington. Thank you so much for your reflections on your visit and then educating us about what has been going on regarding immigration reforms in our country. As you said, it's clear that our immigration system is broken and that there are definitely no easy fixes. So I appreciate the work that the ERLC does in this area on behalf of Southern Baptists. And Brent, you mentioned that Congress should have been working on this immigration reform instead of the Respect for Marriage Act, the misnamed Respect for Marriage Act. So what has been the latest with that? Well, unfortunately, it's uh, it's not great news. Uh, from Baptist Press is our next story. They report here that President Biden has officially signed the, the Respect for Marriage Act. And so from the story, same-sex marriage is now protected in federal law. President Biden signed the Respect for Marriage Act Tuesday, December 13th, and thereby finalized landmark legislation that redefines the world's oldest institution. Five days after Congress completed passage, Biden enacted a bill that mandates federal and state recognition of any same-sex marriage considered legal in the jurisdiction where it took place. Although the new law does not require states to legalize gay marriage, it repeals the Defense of Marriage Act. By enacting DOMA in 1996, the federal government defined marriage as only between a man and a woman, and that protected the right of a state not to recognize same-sex marriage that occurred in another jurisdiction. The Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission expressed disappointment at the enactment of a measure. It and other opponents say not only contradicts the biblical view of marriage as only between a man and a woman, but poses a threat to religious freedom. And so this uh, this is correct. Baptist Press is correct that this does cap this months-long saga that began earlier this summer when the House passed this legislation. And, uh, you know, we've, we've been active on, on this. We opposed it from the outset. As a matter of fact, we've got a piece that we will link to in the show notes that talks, you know, why we remain opposed to this, even after uh, there were some amendments uh, that were proposed in the Senate side that, that did get adopted. Those were helpful to a degree, but, but not uh, helpful to the extent that, that we uh, felt needed to be. And uh, frankly, even had those amendments been passed and, and put into this legislation, we, we still would have opposed it because well, we just don't think that this is something appropriate for government to be weighing in on. And, you know, we said this elsewhere, but I think it bears repeating. Government cannot change what it did not create. Uh, marriage was created by God for our flourishing. Uh, he gave it a specific design as a covenant union between one man and one woman for life. No law or action will ever alter that. And, and that's, that's part of the comments that uh, we gave to several national outlets um, over the, the past few weeks. Uh, we'll, we'll link to those in the show notes as well. And I would also point out this. Um, our SBC president, Bart Barber uh, from, from Texas, a few weeks ago, we, we talked about this on the podcast. He was interviewed on 60 Minutes. And the topic of, of marriage came up. And I think Dr. Barber did just a, a sterling job uh, representing what our churches believe in a context that uh, was not the easiest. Uh, a, 60 Minutes is certainly a, a huge stage nationwide. 
but he was also being interviewed by Anderson Cooper, uh, who who is in a same-sex marriage. And, and Bart did not equivocate on our views um, that come from this biblically informed, deeply held value that we have about God's good design for, for marriage and for our flourishing. And so, yeah, the, the, the SBC and your ERLC uh, has been adamantly uh, opposed to this legislation. Um, but we're, we're going to soldier forward uh, because what, uh, what I said elsewhere in comments was this, that no law, uh, no government can change what God has created. But the best way to truly respect marriage as we view it, uh, which is the way that God designed it, is to continue living out and embodying a Christian vision on this for a culture that is clearly confused about marriage. And, And doing so will accomplish far more in the defense of marriage and the picture of the gospel that it presents uh, more so th- than any law ever could. And I, I think that's that's the mindset that all of us uh, need to have, which which means we will continue to cherish uh, those vows that we make before God and before our community of believers uh, when we make them. And I think that's that's the mindset that that we need to have here. That's what will respect marriage and the gift that it is uh, that that God has given us. So, uh, those were, were two of the bigger things uh, that happened uh, this week, Lindsay, and that's what we've been paying attention to for sure. Brent, thank you for that update, and I appreciate your heart behind this and your comments uh, about the Respect for Marriage Act. And it's so true. As believers who hold fast to the Word, our job is to continue to proclaim the truth. Like you mentioned, uh, SBC President Bart Barber, he didn't equivocate, yet he did it with gentleness and respect. And you couldn't deny that in watching the clip. But we continue to proclaim the truth and we continue to live it out by God's grace and trust that the Lord will use that to bring about a change in our society. I do have a question for you, Brent. Now that President Biden has signed the Respect for Marriage Act into law, is that something that is virtually insurmountable to overturn? No, it's not insurmountable to overturn. I, I think we need to realize the wider context. We've actually already been living in this this new landscape since the Obergefell decision uh, back in in 2015. Uh, that that is where the Supreme Court stepped in and and said that same sex marriage has to be uh, recognized uh, across the country. This law is for the most part, although it does go farther. I think we need to acknowledge uh, that it does go farther than the Obergefell decision. Uh, it, it enshrines uh, much of that decision in, in law. But what's, uh, I think what's concerning mainly about it is what does this do for not, not churches? My, my concern there is actually slightly lower. It's actually religious organizations that are operating based on their deeply held beliefs, uh, operating to serve churches. I think there are lots of unresolved questions that this law has now put into place that we're just going to see how this plays out. And it's probably, you know, it's probably going to play out in the courts. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's, that's definitely raised my level of concern there for, for those organizations like our, like our Baptist children's homes. Uh, that, that's, that's probably an area that I'm, I'm really concerned about currently. But 
yeah, that's uh, this is where we are. And um, thankfully, uh, we have the First Amendment, and there's a number of states out there that have a religious freedom uh, law that a number of our uh, Christian organizations will be shielded from this by. So uh, it's it's a little murky. Uh, that's probably the best way to say it at this point. It's definitely uncharted waters in this country. And so we will continue to, like you said, be faithful, proclaim the truth, and work for uh, the upholding of religious liberty in our country. And I also wanted to point out that we do have an explainer on our site why the ERLC still opposes the Respect for Marriage Act. So I know sometimes these facts can get confusing. And uh, so that's why we wanted to have a place for you to go to where we could whittle down the information and you could have something to read and to even print out and give to uh, people in your life or in your churches. Brent, as we close out, and speaking of marriage, marriage begets children. And so you might hear my children in the background. I apologize. Um, what what kind of, uh, do you have any traditions with your kids at Christmas? Anything they really enjoy doing as a family? So each year at Thanksgiving, uh, our children rece- receive new uh, Christmas pajamas. And so they are required to wear those on Christmas Eve night. So then Christmas morning, which we open presents uh, in our home on Christmas morning, the, the children must descend the stairs uh, in, their, in their Christmas pajamas to go and open their presents. Probably for the last several years, I would have said, yeah, one of our traditions or one of my traditions is staying up really late and putting together uh, lots of plasticky toys with, you know, a hammer and screwdrivers and, and all Truth. that. Uh-huh. But thankfully, we're, we're kind of moving out of that sw- that season. <laughs> so I don't, don't expect to be up uh, late too much. Uh, and then Christmas evening is when we eat Christmas burritos that uh, my wife makes. And so that's that's kind of a tradition for us. So yeah, that's that's what we do. Christmas burritos. So is this does it have reindeer meat in it? Is that what's uh, unique about it or what no, makes no, it a Christmas no. it's, burrito? Yeah, it's it's burritos made on Christmas. That's the that's the kick. Yeah. <laughs> that's the kicker. Uh Christmas burritos and what's your favorite Christmas movie? I think we've talked about this before but I don't remember it. Oh, White Christmas. Yeah. White Christmas. That's a good one. Bing Crosby. Could you sing us oh, yeah. the song? Nope. Nope. I, I, I don't have uh, Bing Crosby. I do not possess I'm Bing Crosby's. I'm nope. White Christmas. Yeah. Well, you might get a White Christmas, and I know you are not happy about it. Well, I don't possess his abilities, and, and neither do you. <gasps> Excuse me. I'm offended. <laughs> well... Let's go ahead and wrap it there and say Merry Christmas to to you, Lindsay, your family, your wonderful children in the background, and and all of our, our listeners. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.